So, Lord, we ask that you would take our hearts and seal it for you. Use your words in Scripture to bind our wandering hearts to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello to those of you watching online. Thank you all for being here. I know what you're thinking right now. Bring back the pastor's wife. Um, <laughs> but you're going to hear from me. So, uh, and just as an aside, I just need you to know that when she starts to ad lib, I am terrified. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> I want to start by asking a question. What is your least favorite fruit? For some folks, I think it's probably like maybe tomatoes, which are fruit. Or maybe it's lemons. Nobody peels a lemon and then just eats a lemon, right? For me, it's papayas. I hate papayas. They taste like used gym socks. <laughs> right? Am I right? I think I'm right, right? Well, this summer we're doing, I'm sorry if you guys love papaya, all right? Just, I'm sorry, just deal with it, okay? We're doing a sermon series on what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I let the other preachers in this series pick which fruit they wanted to preach on. So I got stuck with and left with my least favorite fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Gentleness is the papaya of spiritual fruit. <laughs> like, like nobody wants to be gentle. A lot of people think, I wish I were more joyful or more loving, right? But nobody thinks, man, I want to be gentle. Because to us, it sounds like weakness, letting people kind of run all over you. We don't want to be gentle. We want to be powerful, right? But that is not what the Bible means by gentleness, Gentleness is not the same thing as being weak in the Bible. Gentleness is not the same thing as being nice either. In the original Greek, the word that's used for gentleness means strength under control. It was originally about horses that had been trained. Gentleness is strength under control and power rightly channeled in productive ways. Biblical gentleness, strength under control and power rightly channeled in productive ways. So I came across a news story about a traffic cop who is the epitome of power under control and shows what biblical gentleness looks like. Take a look. This is L.A. Sheriff's Deputy Elton Simmons. And I bet you don't like him already. Seeing him there hiding in the shadows. Why can't he go catch some real criminals, you may be thinking? Or no wonder he has a record number of complaints. Who wouldn't complain about a guy whose sole purpose in life is to ruin your day? Around the corner which is why Captain Pat Maxwell was stunned when he started looking through Simmons' file. I just said that's not possible. Although he did see lots of commendations, looking back over the last 20 years, over the last 25,000 traffic stops, Captain Maxwell couldn't find one complaint. A record. Zero. I mean, Vegas or MIT could not give you the odds of the statistical probability of that. So we trailed him for a day to see if we could figure out how he does it. Yeah, what's going on? How you doing today, man? First thing I noticed was that he has this pitch-perfect mix of authority I need to take care of that. and diplomacy. I don't want to keep pulling you over. Though. With none of the attitude that sometimes comes with a cop. Uh, that's okay. That's good. Just, just be careful, all right? I'm here with you. I'm not up here. Because one thing I hate is to be looked down at. I can't stand it. So I'm not going to look down at you. That's why, in lieu of a lecture, he gives most people the benefit of the doubt. So, it happens. Of course, they still get the ticket. It happens. Just not the guilt trip. <laughs> and drivers seem to appreciate right, well, that. You no, know, it's not, not that bad. So much so right. that by the end, some are downright 
smitten. You know what it is? It's just smiling. Really? He's got a great smile. Really? Oh, yeah. You're, you're giggling me. now. Yeah, you just got a ticket. I just got a ticket. He's a nice guy. I mean, you know, it's... He's, I mean, how can you be mad at that guy? Apparently, you can't. Disarming. That's it. Disarming. Time know? after time. Very uh, kind. Ticket after ticket. Never so happy to get a ticket in my life. We saw Officer Elton Simmons melt away a polar ice cap of preconceptions. And his boss says there's a lesson in there for hard-nosed traffic cops everywhere. Their excuses. Well, I give tickets all day long. I'm going to get complaints. Well, that's not true. There's a way. There is a way to do it. And Elton Simmons is the way. Certainly, no complaints here. Fast gentleness. Yeah, you can applaud him and don't drive too fast in L.A. because he might pull you over. That's gentleness. He's not weak, right? He's not being a doormat. He shows power under control and rightly channeled. And all of these fruits of the Spirit are an antidote to something, and gentleness is the antidote to harshness. So let me ask you this question. Are there people in your life who are harsh with you? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a friend, so-called. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe someone in church or someone in school. Is there harshness in our culture right now? Oh, my goodness. Right? I always find it interesting when people say Christians are so judgmental, and indeed, many are. But look at the way we talk about people on the other side of us politically. A lot of harshness going on these days. And gentleness is the antidote, and it has some great benefits. So first, when we are gentle, we pour water on the fire, not gas. The book of Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, gentleness isn't weak. Gentleness is the power to bring peace where there was anger and division in a family, in a classroom, in a workplace. You know, let's say, for instance, someone sends me a harsh email. If I respond back harshly, all I have done is add to the harshness in the world because harshness plus harshness equals more harshness. But if I respond gently, that can often diffuse the situation. Now, that doesn't mean we're always going to agree with everybody. We're not going to always agree. It just means we can disagree without being disagreeable. I mean, he can hand out a traffic ticket and make someone's day great, right? It's possible. And that actually shows great strength, right? It shows, it shows that what another person thinks or says or does has no control over how I react. I mean, what's stronger? Someone who is able to master their emotions or someone who is held hostage to their emotions and does whatever their emotions prompt them to do? If someone's angry at you and you respond in anger back, does that calm things down or does that add fuel to the fire? That's a rhetorical question. Gentleness douses the fires of rage. But also, gentleness is just more persuasive. Because when someone attacks us about something that we did or said or something we believe, like, we don't go, oh, you know, I, I thought I disagreed, but now that you've been harsh with me, questioned my motives and ridiculed me, I see I was wrong. <laughs> Nobody. Ever, right? Words never been spoken. Nobody says that. What happens if we are attacked? We get defensive, which just makes us entrench in our own positions, and now we're not listening to anything anyone's saying. As Pastor Rick Warren says, I am never persuasive when I am abrasive. I may be able to bully people around for a while, though they get tired of it, but really I'm not changing anyone's mind. I am never persuasive when I am abrasive. Now, now, this doesn't mean that we're gentle in order to manipulate people to agree with us. No, 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 no. We're gentle because God tells us to be. Gentle because it's better for us because we don't get all angry and uptight, right? Gentle because it's good for our homes and our workplaces and our marriages and our friendships and our schools when we decrease the level of kind of hostility in the air. 
I run every sermon I preach past a re sermon review team every Thursday, and, and they critique it, and then I make changes for Sunday. I do this with every sermon, right? And there's a man on that team who by his own definition has the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> he just loves, he, can, he is so good at finding things to criticize, right? So what better place for him to unleash his criticism talent than in my sermon review team? Right, he can just criticize and criticize and criticize to his heart's content, and he does. Right, but here's the thing, it's never harsh. It's never personal. He doesn't second-guess my motives. Right? He, he's not nice. Right? The point, after all, is to make the sermon better, but he's gentle and he's persuasive, and he says, I just think this part of the sermon doesn't work, and here's why. Third benefit, gentleness shows Jesus. People are watching us. And if we respond to pressure the same way everyone else does, we have not shown people who Jesus is. The Bible says that Christians should always be gentle toward people who agree with them. Famous verse, right? You've all heard it. You memorized it in Sunday school. Right? Oh, no, right? Always be gentle toward everyone. Again, that doesn't mean you have to agree. But you can say, I just see this differently and here's why. I remember once talking to one of the musicians in our Christmas Eve orchestra, and he said that it was by playing here that he became a Christian. And I said, well, why? How'd that happen? You know, hoping he would say, well, the sermons, of course, because they're so <laughs> fabulous, right? And he went, and he, and he said, nope, that's not what he said. Instead, he said, once during rehearsal, he said, I played some wrong notes, like really wrong notes, like a really rookie move. And he said, most conductors in that moment usually publicly ridicule you if you make a mistake like that. But Scott Dean, right, didn't, he said, Scott Dean didn't yell at me. He didn't try to humiliate me. He just said, I think you made a mistake. He corrected it and said, don't worry about it. Let's move on. And the man said, I'd never seen anything like that in my industry. And I figured it had to be Jesus. <laughs> Not you, Jesus, but <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And that started him on a journey toward Christ. Now, in that moment, Scott wasn't weak, right? He, wasn't, he didn't compromise the standards, you know. Oh, you want to play that note? Who am I to squash your musical voice? Play whatever note you want. Choir, sing whatever notes you want. Sometimes you do. You know, just... <laughs> that was off script. <laughs> now my wife is terrified. <laughs> He still expected excellence, he just was gentle about it. And that started this guy on his journey toward Christ. See, people are not asking if the Bible is credible. They're asking if you and I are credible. And gentleness is one way that we show them that we are. Which brings me to my last point. Gentleness channels power in positive directions. It's not being a wimp. It's using the power we have in a right way to help those who need help, protect those who need protecting, empower those who need empowering. Most historians say that Abraham Lincoln was our greatest president. And he was an incredibly gentle man, but he was also a very strong man. He fought a civil war. He ended slavery because he hated it so much. We have to be strong in the face of injustice, but we can be strong and gentle at the same time. Martin Luther King, the same thing. Jesus was the master of power under control and correctly cha cha channeled. 
When I was in college, I had a job in a hospital as kind of errand boy. And there was one doctor there, just a terrible, terrible boss. And he'd yell at everyone. Nothing was ever good enough for him. And his assistant was named Ruth. And he would dictate letters into a recorder for her to type, right? And then she'd listen to it and type it, right? But he'd all, he's always makes the, make these nasty remarks when he was dictating the letters. He'd say like, things like, don't screw this up like you did the last time, Ruth, right? Well, it got so bad that Ruth quit. Well, then he got a new assistant named Penny, and he would do the same thing to her. And so one day, Penny said to him, you are so mean when you dictate these letters. It got so bad, Ruth quit. Do you know what that makes you? A ruthless dictator. <laughs> and then Penny leaned forward and said, but I just realized something. I have the power to make you penniless. <laughs> so quit being so mean, right? And it worked. He thought that was kind of clever, and he got a lot gentler, and it became way easier to follow him. See, if you have to push someone around and say, I'm the boss here to get him to do something, right? You may be the boss, but you're not the leader. But if you aren't on some power trip, if you're trying your best to empower others, folks are going to be willing to follow you. That's gentleness, and it is the antidote to harshness. Now, all of these fruits have a counterfeit, and Christians are really good at the counterfeit. And the counterfeit of gentleness is a syrupy, sweet, fake nice. You know, like in the South, when someone says, well, bless your heart. That means I can't stand you. Right? Fake nice is not what we're talking about. Gentleness is power under control. So then how do we become gentle? Well, not by trying harder, because that just makes us fake nice. Instead, do a couple of things. The first is acknowledge and repent. Stop saying to ourselves, you know, I'm just being emphatic to make a point. No, no. Say, Jesus, I am sometimes harsh with people. I don't want to be. I repent. Second is to pray and ask for it. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. So ask for it. Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me be more gentle. And then third, practice makes perfect. And I said last week that the Holy Spirit has already put these spiritual fruits inside of us if we know Jesus, right? But often they're laying dormant for lack of use. So in situations you find yourself in this week, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to help you act on a genuine biblical gentleness. And you'll find that it is in you more than you probably think it is. And as we practice it, it grows stronger. Maybe that's with your parents. Maybe that's with a parent or with a kid. Instead of lashing out, be gentle. Maybe if you're a student, it's with a younger student in, in school or the youth group, kind of helping them to, to, to feel a part of it. Maybe it's to bring calm to an angry situation. When my kids were toddlers, if they were throwing a fit, I found that if I took a few minutes to pray and kind of calm down before I dealt with them, and if I lowered my voice as they raised theirs, it would often calm them down way better than if I yelled back, right? It works with adults too, by the way. And I'd feel better because I wasn't all angry and, and frustrated. Maybe it's bringing gentleness to political discussions. I recently read that King County is one of the most politically intolerant counties in the country on both sides. Everybody's mad at everybody about everything, right? And everyone's just waiting to get mad. I'm just waiting. You're going to make me mad, and I want to be mad because I'm going to be mad, right? And what, I mean, the posts I read, I'm like, sometimes I look at them and go, oh my gosh, I even agree with you politically, but oh my goodness, you're so toxic. I don't want to agree with you anymore. Like you changed my mind on the other side. 
That's a fire. Let's dump water on it. And show the world how with Jesus' help we can disagree without being disagreeable. And also realize this. Realize this. There are those who profit when you and I are mad. Because when we're mad, we click on more articles, which translates into more revenue ad dollars, right? Politicians on both sides stir up anger because then we'll vote for them to fix the anger that they stirred up in the first place. The merchants of rage, the talk show hosts on both sides, the folks who write angry articles, the angrier the better because that gets reposted, shared, retweeted. And the politicians, all of them profit when you and I are angry. You do realize that, right? You do realize we are being played like cheap fiddles at a hoedown. Let's agree together we refuse to be played by the merchants of rage. Let's not do that anymore. We are seeing a beautiful example of strength under control in New Hope Revival right now. The African Fellowship that's part of our church. And as we've told you in the last couple weeks, there's renewed violence against ethnic Tutsis in Congo and many have been killed. And this affects almost everyone in New Hope Revival. Many of them have lost close relatives already. One man was talking on the phone to his brother who's in the Congo. And while they were talking on the phone, his brother was killed. It's bad. These are people who are part of our church, whose names we know, in whose homes we have eaten. And they are showing strength under control. Because, see, there are people in New Hope Revival who have lost relatives. And there are also people in New Hope Revival who are from the tribes that are doing the killing. But they are refusing to be enemies. Staying united in Christ in witness to the world that it is possible for people to be reconciled in Jesus. That is strength under control. And by the way, do you think they might have something to teach us? We can't even get along with people who vote differently than we do. As a church, one of the ways that we can show power rightly channeled is that we've drafted a nonpartisan, nonpartisan petition, which we would invite you to sign after the service. It'll be in the lobby, asking our elected officials to just bring the world's attention to the killings in the Congo and to call on the Congolese government to protect their own citizens. A little public pressure might be very, very helpful here. So if you feel so led, please sign that petition. Because it's a great way that we can show our brothers and sisters in Christ that we stand with them and that we will channel what power we have in productive ways for their good. Several months ago, I heard a story from Jubilee Reach, the nonprofit we started that now does, among many other things, uh, after-school programs to help under-resourced kids. And recently, during a flag football game, one of the adult volunteer coaches was aggressively challenging the calls the referee was making, showing a lot of anger. The ref tried to calm him down, but the volunteer coach just kept yelling and yelling. And then he noticed there was a student sitting in his chair on the sideline. Student didn't know his chair, right? But he went over, told her to move in, in a really angry voice. Student responded with angry sarcasm, which escalated things. The volunteer coach then called her a name, which was overheard by her dad. So this volunteer coach and the dad started to shout at each other. It got a little bit physical. Folks jumped in and they calmed it down. But some of the students were upset by this, including the student who was sitting in the coach's chair because she felt guilty for having said anything to the coach. She felt embarrassed for the way her dad had responded. So at school the next day, the students were really still kind of upset. So all this was discussed at Jubilee Reach, and they decided to take action. So they put the volunteer coach that had been so aggressive, they put him on leave, a leave of absence from volunteering for a while. But first they reached out to him, 
and did what Jubilee Reach always does, love, listen, and learn, and they discovered that this coach was going through some really painful personal issues in his life at the time, and he needed a break to be able to address those painful issues. The coach appreciated how they reached out to him, didn't just put him on leave, right, but they reached out to him to have the conversation. He really appreciated that. And now he's able to work through those issues, and they'll keep in touch. Then they also reached out to the father of the student that was sitting in the coach's chair, right? And through the process of that conversation, he agreed to come to the school and apologize to the students for his behavior, which he did. And that just meant so much to the students, especially to his daughter, who was kind of embarrassed. It meant so much to the staff of that school. And the school sent a long email thanking Jubilee Reach for how they brought healing into a difficult situation. Jubilee Reach's gentleness dumped water on the fire, helped some folks realize their own sin, brought healing, and showed Jesus. They weren't weak. They responded. They just channeled their strength in a productive way. So in our bitter, divided, shouting, yelling, bickering, arguing, angry, angry culture, how can you show gentleness, true Biblical gentleness, strong enough to bring healing. Gentleness, strong enough to douse the fires of rage. Gentleness, strong enough to drive back anger and division and usher in redemption and reconciliation. A genuine gentleness, not of our own making, but that comes from Jesus himself who said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. Rest unto your souls and healing for our broken culture. So Jesus, we ask that you would help us not be nice, not be fake, syrupy sweet. Help us the genuine, authentic gentleness that you have to be able to channel strength and power in productive ways, to be able to heal divisions, to be able to be the people who are the repairers of the breach and who bring reconciliation in our culture that is so angry right now. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that this fruit of the Spirit just comes out of us more and more naturally because we are getting closer and closer to you, the author of all good things. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.